Good morning. How are we? Good? You ready? I am. I had to wake up at uh, early, early this morning. I had to be here for that 815 service. Just in case you've ever not been here, you're missing something. It was a special time, and um, we had a great morning this morning, and a great worship service, and the Celebrators Choir did a great job, and one of the things that um, I shared with them, and I'm going to share with you real quick, is that I had an opportunity yesterday to talk with Pastor Jeff, and uh, we caught up for a few minutes over the phone and had a great conversation, um, shared a couple laughs together, uh, a couple of prayers together, and um, you could hear the the pain in our pastor's heart, but... um, I just want you to know that he sends his love and that he is praying for us this morning. And uh, it was interesting, about 8.15, he was awake because I got a text message. <laughs> and uh, he said that he was praying for the services this morning. So he just wants you to know that he's thinking of you and he's praying for you. And so I wanted to bring that message to you. And I just want to take an opportunity real quick. Um, I, I know that you heard Pat give voice to a prayer here um, over them. But I just want to take a time, just, just a moment. Um, I know that they're, the prayers that we offered last week um, definitely encouraged the two of them. And they had a great Easter together. And um, I just want to take a moment to do that right now again. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're sitting beside the one you love, where there's a seat between the one you love, slide over. Oh, hi, Matthew. If you grab the person's hand beside you, and uh, if they're a stranger, go ahead and grab their hand too. We're just going to unite as a body of Christ, and, and we're just going to lift up Pastor Jeff and Wendy um, before our Father this morning. So let us pray. Father God, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And uh, Father, thank you for the way in which you continue to raise up broken lives. And Father, we do see your love and we do see you here today. And Father, we pray that in this very moment, as we just come together as a body of Christ, Father, that you would wrap your arms around Pastor Jeff and Wendy. And that Father, that you would continue to atmosphere their home with the very presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would provide peace and rest and comfort. Father, we know that you can heal in an instant. And yet, Father, as they walk through this valley, Father, I pray that you would continue to glorify yourself as you have so faithfully through them. Father, pour out your love, pour out your grace. Father, just wrap your arms around their entire family. Answer the questions, Father, that are being asked. Speak words of encouragement. Father, I pray that they would know that you are right there with them every step of the way. Father, this morning as we gather to worship, And now as we open your scriptures, Father, I pray that you would speak. Father, that you would penetrate hearts, that you would change hearts. That, Father, today would be a great day in the life of this church. For you're not done yet. And, Father, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would now speak in Jesus' name. Thanks for praying with me all. And if you were here last Sunday, uh, I like Pat was um, pretty excited. It was a it was a great um, attendance, and um, and so I, I just welcome back. And uh, for many of you, you you know my face, and uh, it is a joy to be looking at your face today. And uh, really excited. A year ago, a little over a year ago in March, you may remember I had the opportunity to come from Pennsylvania down to to preach. And quite honestly, I, I never thought I would be preaching here again especially living in Fort Mill. 
And so that the father moved us back to Fort Mill three, four months ago. We are so excited to be back and excited to be with you this morning. And last week, uh, Pastor Shannon brought a great word. And uh, go ahead and I want you to turn open to Mark 16 real quick. And um, if you remember the message of the, of the tomb and the empty tomb, and I talked about that empty egg and, uh-oh, I didn't do it. It was interesting because Shannon hit it. I mean, he just hit it. And it was a message of peace. First, do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. The angel said. And the second message was that of power for he isn't here. That tomb was empty. And then there was a message of priority. Now go and tell. Remember the fourth P? It's a message of promise. For he will go ahead of you. He will go before you, is what the angel said. So if you turn to to Mark 16, and if you've gotten there before me, you will see this great message that starts in in chapter 16, verse 5. And Shannon walked down through those couple of verses, and he left a great job. He put that golf ball right on top of that tee, and then he handed me the driver, and he said, go ahead and hit it down the fairway. By the way, the men's retreat's coming up the last weekend of April, and I don't golf but I will definitely shoot sporting clays all day long. And it says in verse 7, at the second half, and I don't want to miss this, the angel says, you will see him, Jesus, there, just as he, Jesus, told you before he died. Did y'all see that? We can't just stop. With a message of peace and power and priority and promise. Did Jesus die on the cross? Church, yes or no? Did he? Did they put him in a tomb? Yes. Did he rise again? Well, Monday the kids were off. And I was getting ready Monday morning and Jordan, our eight-year-old daughter, she walked into the bedroom and, and she looks at me and she says, Daddy... I've got a question for you. I said, okay, sweetheart, what's up? She goes, we celebrated Christmas and we've celebrated Easter. Is that the end of God's story? Holy Spirit ever catch you like that through the mouths of babes? And I just looked at her and said, well, well, no, that's not the end of the story, sweetheart. And then, church, you're going to want to write this down because I did. She said, well, then what's next? And I looked at her and said, baby, that'll preach. (laughs) Church, did you hear that question? For many of them, for many of you, you may have walked in this room in Christmas and you may have celebrated Jesus coming to earth. You may have come back for the second time in Easter and you may have celebrated him rising from the tomb. And there you would have him. That's it. It's over. That's the end of the story. And if it were, we would just be like the disciples. You remember what the disciples did? They went, they fled, they fleed, they got out of there. Why? Because their king, Jesus, just died. And they scattered to their homes. And they were afraid and they were terrified. And they were huddled all together. 
Now check it out. Shannon, he goes to the shorter ending of Mark. Y'all know that, right? Doug always goes to the longer ending. I'm just being honest. You are not going to get out of here on time. I can guarantee it. No, I'm just kidding. You will. Because there's a service behind you. Oh, so glad you didn't come to 11 o'clock, aren't you? After Jesus rose from the dead, check out verse 9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw Jesus was Mary Mag. That's what I like to call her. Mary Mag. It's not Mary Magdalene. It's Mary from Magdalia. That's how they know her. She's Mary the Magdalene. Like Jesus was from Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. So Mary Magdalene is the first person who Jesus see, who sees Jesus. The woman from whom he cast out seven demons. A complete healing. You might want to write that down. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping. And they, she told them what happened. Check out their response. She said to them, Jesus is alive, and that she had seen him, but they didn't believe her. Really? They didn't believe the messenger. Afterward, he appears to two different he appears in a different form to two of the followers. Who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. Go check out Luke 24. You can see this whole story. Many of you know it as the road to Emmaus. Or the walk to Emmaus. Where Jesus comes in and and he's spending time with his followers. And these two men, they go back. And they rush back to tell the other disciples. But no one believes them. They didn't believe the message. So Jesus decides that, hey, I'm going to appear to the 11 disciples. And as they were 11 disciples eating together, Jesus rebukes them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Could you imagine? I mean, check it out just for a second. I mean, these are the disciples that walked with Jesus. These are the disciples that talked with Jesus. These are the disciples that covered themselves in the dust of the rabbi. These are the disciples that saw Jesus heal people and raise people and heal people and feed people and heal people and, and walk on water and calm the storm. These are the same disciples, right? And he died on the cross and they all believed it because they went, uh-oh, whoo, gone. Fear set into the camp. And they're huddled together, eating together, praying together. Mary comes and says, hey guys, I saw him. Whatever. Two other followers, dude, he met us on the road. I'm telling you, when we were walking to Emmaus, he was right there. We saw him. Whatever. Jesus all of a sudden shows up. Hey guys. I love it. All four of the gospel accounts have the resurrection. All four of the gospel accounts have after the resurrection too. And it's so cool because if you read the other gospel accounts, you find out that Jesus did not open that door to get inside the room. He just comes right in through the door without it opening. Could you imagine? All of a sudden, Jesus is going, boom, what's up? What would you do? Seriously. I mean, what would you do if Jesus just all of a sudden showed up in your bedroom? Showed up in your office? 
showed up in your kitchen. Thank goodness my wife can cook. And he rebukes them for their stubborn unbelief. Mm. Church, do you know any, don't nudge the person beside you. Do you know anybody that's stubborn and in their unbelief? See, the amazing part about it is that you got to go back to verse 7 to understand what's going on. And when you go back to verse 7, and the angel says, go and tell, he's going ahead of you, and you will see Jesus there just as he told you before he died. What's next has got to be the question that is on the disciples' heart that night that they are gathering in the home to, to break bread together, right? What's next? What are we going to do? Our king just died. You know, it's interesting. Jesus told him exactly what was going to happen, didn't he? Exactly what was going to happen. Flip to the right, to John. And we're going to walk through John 14, 15, and 16 this morning in about three minutes. John 14, 15, and 16 is that great discourse, that great conversation between Jesus and his disciples after he washed their feet at the Last Supper, many of us know. And as he's at the Last Supper and after he's washing their feet, check out what he says in John 14. Look at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is before Jesus hung and bled and died on the cross, right? He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Guess what? If he showed up, he would say the same thing to you and I today. Do you have any idea how many believers and how many Christians are walking around with a troubled heart? Amen. Am I the only one awake? Before we worshiped at 8.15, the celebrator choir came back in the back and they were practicing. And I'll never forget what Alice said to them. She said, make sure you enunciate your words. Your words are so powerful as we sing today that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to take him off the cross. But he died alone for you and me. And then she said something I'll never forget. And if you feel like it, would you smile once in a while? And I said, sister, thank you for preaching my sermon. Come on, church. Why are our hearts troubled? Why do we not have a smile on our face? Why do I have to drive to Charleston, South Carolina on Wednesday for one lunch meeting? And after that lunch meeting, the waitress comes up to me and she looks at me and she says, do you really work for Billy Graham? I had my Billy Graham shirt on. I said, I do. She goes, I have so much respect for him. I said, oh. She goes, yeah, but I can't stand the church. She said, do you know what the worst day of the week to work here is? Sunday. Not one of of my colleagues or myself wants to be on the schedule for Sunday lunch. Do you know why? Because they're the rudest people, they're stubborn, and they don't tip well. Don't shake your heads. Some of you are in this room. Just got a little uncomfortable, didn't it? Church, listen to me. Why are we so troubled? Why are we so stingy? Why are we so stubborn? Is he not the way, the truth, and the life? 
Well, at least he said so in John 14. Go back to it. In verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, in spite of what anybody else says, Jesus says no one can come to the Father except through him. We do not worship the same gods. Does everybody understand that? The God of Islam is not Almighty God. It is not Yahweh. He is not the same God that I worship and that you worship. The Hindu gods, the many of them, they're not the same God. There is only one way to Jesus. Sorry. One way to the Father through the Son. Can I get an amen on that? Good. I thought I was Baptist. And in verse 15, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Hold up. Wait a second, what? If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Who will never, oh, circle that word, never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. John 15. I am the true grapevine in verse 1. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Yesterday afternoon... I had the chainsaw fired up, took down 12 trees, and I watched my four little ones all under the age of 11 and one of Carter's best friends come over and and we cut down tree after tree after tree. And they cut off tree limb after tree limb after tree limb. And we worked for probably six hours in the backyard. And all of a sudden it hit me. Every tree that I am cutting is dead. It was alive. Before that chain entered into the bark. And now it is dead. Do y'all realize that if you are cut from the Father, you are dead? Or dead, as they say in the South. How do you fit four syllables into four letters? Did you ever bring home, guys, a fresh cut bouquet? She smiles, and you're like... Those are dead. You killed them. Because they were cut. But he also says that not only does he cut off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, but he also prunes, a.k.a. cuts back, branches that do bear fruit. So that they will produce even more. If you go back to the ancient text and you look at the ancient meaning of that word prune or cut back, it actually means to lift up. So if you were a vine dresser, you would understand that more because sometimes the vines grows along the ground. Why? Because it's trying to stay low, right? Trying to stay out of the, of the cover, right? It's trying to get to, to where no, no one else can get it, kind of like Christians, right? And he says, oh no, I'm going to lift you up. And why would he do that? Why would he cut off every branch that doesn't produce fruit? Why would he cut back those branches in which do produce fruit? And check this out. Verse 8 of John 15. Jesus still speaking to the disciples before he died. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Check it out. It doesn't end there. 
What's next? This brings great glory to the Father. Do you know why God wants us to produce fruit? Do you know why God wants us to smile? Do you know why God wants us to tip better than anybody else in the restaurant? Do you know why God wants us to have conversation with our waiter or our waitress? Do you know why God wants to use us to lift other people up? Those broken vessels that Teresa just spoke of. Because it brings him glory. How cool is that? Well, check out John 16. Jesus still speaking. Everything's written in red here, guys. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Why is he telling us what he needed to tell us in John 14, 15, and now 16? So that we don't abandon our faith. Why would we ever abandon our faith, Jesus? You're right beside me. I believe that God sent you. You're the Messiah. You're the the one. You're the incarnate God. I, I see you. Why would I ever abandon my faith? I've seen you do all these things. Check it out. What's he say? For you will be expelled from the synagogues, a.k.a. places of worship. You will be expelled from positions. You will be expelled from jobs. You will be attacked because of your stance for God in this world. Do we see that today? Anybody want to talk to Governor Pat McCrory? The time is coming when you will be expelled. And the time is also coming when those who kill you, what? Will think they are doing a holy service for God. Friday morning at 10 o'clock, I was on a conference call with a good friend, Jeff Neighbor. Some of you may know him. He lives right here in Fort Mill. He is our director of the Billy Graham Rapid Response Chaplain Deployment Team. And Jeff called in at 10 o'clock because it was the middle of the afternoon for him in Brussels. Where he was telling us story after story of how those who bombed do it in the name of another God. Can I tell you something today, church? We do not need to hurt others, to put down others, to kill others, to get ourselves to God. He did not orphan us. He did not abandon us. No matter of fact, he came to us because he knew that we could never come to him. That should have been an amen too. Verse 5, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve. Instead, your heart is full of sorrow because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. That spirit of truth that he just spoke of a few minutes earlier won't come. And if I do go away, then I will be able to send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Church, how many of you are convicted of your sin? Raise your hands. That's it? Really? No, 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 church, put them up high. 
How many of you are convicted of your sin? Who told you to put them down? Put them back up. Follow the instruction, not the leader. But tell me, look around. Look around. Todd, seriously, look around. Don't look down. Look around. Do you see all the hands? The Holy Spirit has come. Why? Because you're convicted. I'm convicted. His truth is right here. He said that he is going to be gone, dead, buried. Then he's going to come back again. What? And then I'm going to the Father. Really? Why? So that I can send the Holy Spirit. And when I send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin. Well, you all just raised your hand and said that you were convicted of your sin. Wow. That means he came. That means that Jesus really did do what he said he was going to do. He died. He rose again. And then all of a sudden he went to the Father. Why in the world would Jesus go to the Father? Well, he told us. He said, now I'm going away to the one who sent me. Why? Verse 7 of 16. In fact... It is, circle it, best. It may say it is to your advantage that I go away. Do you realize what he just said to his disciples before he died? He said, guys, listen to me for a second. It is better for me to go be with the Father because it is best for you that the Holy Spirit is in you rather than me being beside you. Y'all may want to write that down. See, there's always this great conflict. We walk inside this worship building and this wonderful comfy seats and, and we look through our worship notes and all of a sudden there's no blanks to fill in. There's only this beautiful little blank piece of paper that says sermon notes. And it scares me because sometimes we say, man, that's awesome. And it's not Doug's words. Hear me on that. I didn't hear it first. I didn't say it first. I heard it first whenever Mel Blackaby in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania told it to me. He said, Doug, it's better for the Holy Spirit to be in you than for Jesus to be beside you. And man, I wrote that down in my journal so quick because that changed everything for me. But he didn't say it first either. And even though it may be contained in a book somewhere, they didn't say it first either. Jesus said it first. It is best for you, believers, disciples, that he goes be with the Father so that he can send the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, if you read all of John 16, is not only in us, but it's working through us, and it's also with us. So hang on. The Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is working through us. And the Holy Spirit is with us. Some of you may be asking the question, who is this Holy Spirit? He's in us because it brings blessing to us. Because if he is in me, he will convict me of my sin so that not only will I be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, but I will also be made right with God because only Jesus allows me to stand before the Father. Amen. So the spirit in me convicting me is a blessing for me. The spirit moving through me 
allows a choir to show up on a Wednesday night and sing Amazing Grace to their dear sister who is days away, possibly, from going home. That's the Holy Spirit moving through you, writing a note, calling a friend, praying with someone, encouraging somebody, smiling at somebody, hearing the story of a waitress that's struggling and leaving an extra $50 on the tip. That's the Holy Spirit moving through you to encourage those around you, comfort those around you. It's a blessing for them. And the Holy Spirit is with us. Why? Well, if you would have time, we would look at John 17. And I'm going to encourage you that today, later today, you open up your Bibles and you read Jesus' prayer in John 17. Because Jesus' prayer for the church and the body of Christ was that we would be one. Think about it. If the Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit is in me and the Holy Spirit is moving through us and with us, does it make that oneness? So I would pray that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh in Forest Hill. Did y'all hear that? I would pray that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh in Unity Presbyterian and the Methodist Church across the street and right down here at the Church of God and every church in Fort Mill. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict hearts and penetrate hearts and speak truth this day. Why? Because then the church will be one. And if you read John 17, Jesus said that when the church is one, when the body of Christ is one, then they who don't believe will see the Father and they will believe that God sent his Son. If you want somebody to get saved, I hear that all the time in Baptist churches. If you want somebody to get saved, then do me a favor. Start showing your oneness with other believers. Amen? Oh, guys, we're just getting started. Isn't this fun? I'm having a ball. Flip back to John 20. Same story of the resurrection, guys. Nothing has changed. It's not contradictory at all. It just gives a little bit further insight. And here Jesus is appearing to his disciples after he died and after he rose again, after saying all that I just shared with you in John 14, 15, 16, and even 17. And Jesus says to his disciples, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Here it is, guys. I love it. Because they were afraid. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. What's up, y'all? Peace be with you. Could you imagine him coming in and just saying, peace be with you? (laughs) Yeah, okay. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his side. They were filled with joy. Isn't it amazing that whenever God shows up in your life, when Jesus shows up in your life, you go from afraid and discouraged to overwhelmed with joy. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's the same message we read in Mark. Then he breathed on them and said, receive, lambano. That's the word. I know all of you knew that. Lambano, receive the Holy Spirit. To take the Holy Spirit. To lay a hold of the Holy Spirit. To to take up to take upon oneself, to seize or to catch. Why? In order to use it, in order to carry it with you, in order to claim it and procure it. Well, hang on a second, Doug. Are you saying name it and claim it? No, 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 no. Understand that many people have abused 
the power of the Holy Spirit, have abused the name of the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? The Spirit is unique in every single one of us. Amen? The Spirit is going to move how he desires to move. Why? Because he wants to accomplish his purposes, not mine. So use it. Carry it with you. Possess it. Admit to it. Receive it. It's being offered to you. At least it was from Jesus' mouth to his disciples saying, receive the Holy Spirit. You can either accept it or reject it. Because isn't that amazing that that's what happens next? So Jordan, you guys are doing a great job, by the way. Well done. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to answer your question, sweetheart. Acts chapter 2. What happens next? After the resurrection, keep on flipping. You'll get there. Turn it on, right? Turn your Bible on and hit the app and you'll get there before the rest of us. And then you win the race. Acts chapter 2. If you remember that right before the ascension, Jesus says to his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will go and tell. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so they wait. They actually listen to him. They put their hands down. They stopped asking questions and they started praying. And in their waiting, they also worshiped. And they got their hearts right because now all of a sudden, it's not a message of promise. Write this down. We are not living in the days of promise. Dude, have you ever heard a preacher say that before? We are not living in the days of promise. We're not. Because in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of mighty windstorm, and it was filled the house where they were sitting. See, we're living in days of fulfillment. Did y'all hear that? We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to come because he already came. Jesus promised that he would send the advocate. Acts chapter 2 tells us that he came. So we're living in days of fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to his disciples before he was dead. It's getting good. But Doug, it just, it's such a mystery. I I can't put my hands around this Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? I just don't understand, Doug. I mean, we really haven't talked about it much. You know, we may talk about a little bit in Sunday school, right? But we don't, we don't sit in time and read. Well, it's kind of interesting. This week in my preparation, I was actually reading a book by Billy Graham. Go figure. It's a great thing about working for the ministry. I've got access to all these great, tremendous writings. And I was reading a book by Billy Graham called The Holy Spirit. It's kind of interesting. Mr. Graham has actually been criticized for not talking about the Holy Spirit at his crusades. So he decided that he was just going to write about it so that anybody that wants to read about it can read it. Not just those who show up at a crusade. And in his writings of the Holy Spirit, I will never forget what I read. And Dr. Graham so perfectly, so wonderfully reminded me that Jesus was begotten of the Spirit. 
that he was baptized by the Spirit, that he was led and anointed and empowered by the Spirit, and he offered himself as atonement for sin by the Spirit. He raised to life by the Spirit and gave commandments by the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, was there at the foundations of the earth. He was there in Deuteronomy 28. He was there in Job 33, or at least Job gave testimony to him. He was there throughout the Psalms, and we'll look at one as we close here in a few minutes. He was there through all four Gospels. And from Acts chapter 2 on, he was in the disciples. See, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. He's a person. He's part of the Trinity. He's part of the Godhead. Three in one. And it's a reminder that he not only is a person, but he actually speaks. He intercedes. He testifies. He leads. He commands. He guides. He appoints. He can be lied to. He can be insulted. He can be blasphemed and he can be grieved. He is eternal, never leaving you. He is all powerful, going wherever he decides to go. He is everywhere present. He is also all knowing. And he is God. He will never leave you nor forsake you, is what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 says. He will never abandon you. So, what's next? What shall we do? Some of you may in your Bible have a little heading at the top of Acts chapter 2 that says Acts of the Apostle. Because the microphone is attached to my ear, I am taking liberty to do something to your Bible right now, if you would allow. I want you to scribble out of the apostles. And I want you to write in Acts of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? It was not Peter all of a sudden deciding to say, you know what, I'm going to start speaking on behalf of Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through them. It was the Holy Spirit moving through them. In Acts chapter 4, whenever John comes up and says, you know what, I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have in the name of the Lord Jesus, stand up. You who have been begging, paralyzed, broken for all of your life. It's the act of the Holy Spirit in the disciple, moving through the disciple to show oneness so that the world may believe that God sent his son. Amen? See, the Holy Spirit coming is actually part of the gospel story. See, it's interesting because many people want to forget that there are actually six elements to the gospel. Hang on a second, I'm going to my notes because I have them written down. There are six elements, there's six events. Five of them have taken place. You might want to write these down, it's pretty cool. First one is incarnation. Redemptive entrance of Jesus occurred. Christmas, Jordan. Atonement, spotless lamb, hanging on a cross, justifying guilty men, Good Friday. Resurrection, putting death to death, putting death to Satan, putting death to hell for those who believe in Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you this right now from the pulpit being recorded, love doesn't win. Love won. It won. Sorry, Rob Bell. 
the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And now we're talking about the ascension. The Father accepting the atoning work of the Son on our behalf. And now the fifth has come called Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection. See, those five events are all past. But there's a sixth event, isn't there? What's the sixth event? Jesus is coming. Did you all not just sing that song? Jesus is coming. He is coming. Jordan, what's next is Jesus is coming for you and me. That's what's next because he's given us the Holy Spirit because he went to the Father and the Holy Spirit is alive in your life. And he's moving through you at eight years old. And what's next? Jesus is coming again. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Put a smile on your face, church. Now, pause. If you don't believe that, there ain't no reason for you to smile. There ain't no reason for you to smile. If you reject that Jesus came incarnate, that Jesus was the atonement, that Jesus raised from the dead, that Jesus ascended to the Father and Jesus sent the Spirit, if you reject that, my heart breaks and so does the Father because he loved you so much that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. Whole new day, isn't it, church? Whole new day. And so this morning, I want to close because it's interesting in, that in Acts chapter 2. Don't leave there just quite yet. Put your finger there. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 32, Peter speaking says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all, what does all mean? All witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven and at God's right hand and at the Father, he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Amazing grace I see. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. David, King, little K, King David of Israel, before Jesus' coming, the man after God's own heart, as the author of Acts, Luke, shares. And if you would turn with me as closing... Some of you have been looking at Psalm 23 over the last couple of weeks. But I want to take you to another Psalm of King David, Psalm 24. Because here's what gives Psalm 23 the power. Psalm 24, written by King David before Jesus is coming, says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built on it oceans deep. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who do not worship other gods or idols and who never tell lies. Pause. Y'all, I can't climb the mountain. I can't. 
Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin in my life, I cannot climb the mountain. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship you in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the King of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. Can I get an amen? It is best for us that Jesus seated in a heavenly sanctuary at the right hand of the Father because the Holy Spirit has come to convict me of my sins and for many of you of your sins. And I want you to know this morning that if you don't know the King of Glory, today you can. I have to tell you, I sit in a chair, 930 service, and I hear Pastor Jeff talk about that connect room back there. And I hear him say that if you don't know Jesus, today's your day to walk back in. There's somebody in there that will pray with you and answer the questions for you. And you know what? Honestly, I haven't seen too many people move. That's not Jeff's fault. That's not even this church's fault. It's because the Holy Spirit hasn't moved in that person's life yet. Only the Holy Spirit can convict and only God can save. Amen. So if this morning, if those words of ancient truth in John 14, 15, 16, 17, Acts chapter 2, John 20, Mark 16, everywhere we've traveled... If those words are penetrating your heart and you've got questions, get yourself in that room. Come down and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders, the deacons. We would love nothing more than to pray with you. Some of you are troubled. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are weeping. Some of you are grieved. You're full of sorrow. But understand that Jesus is alive. He is the King of glory. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand before you this morning. Father, not because of my pure hands or my clean heart, but because of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, convicting me of my sin. Father, your son, Jesus, bled and died in the forgiveness of my sins. Father, he rose again and he ascended to your heavenly sanctuary so that you could pour out the Holy Spirit upon us so that we may be made right with you. So, Father, we praise you this morning for forgiveness and righteousness. You are not only Lord of my life, but you are Savior, Father. And I pray that anyone in this room that is stirring this morning and has questions, that, Father, they would reach out to someone this week, that they would step into the Connect room, that they would meet us at a flag, and that we would have the opportunity to pray together and talk together and fellowship together so that they, too, would know the overwhelming joy in the midst of their current fear. Father, we love you and we thank you that you sent your son and that it was best for us that he not be beside us, but that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Father, we love you. We praise you.
This morning I'll close with this incredible, incredible blessing that I found this week from my dear wife in Numbers chapter six as she was studying. And it was a blessing that the Lord said to Moses when he said, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and may he give you peace. May you know the peace of the King of glory. Amen. Y'all have an awesome week. Keep smiling and tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Amen. See ya.